from the book of Nehemiah. Um, you can turn there with us this morning from the book of Nehemiah. We have been looking at the story of how God used this man and his and the people of God to rebuild and restore the walls and the gates of the city of Jerusalem. Historically speaking, in 587 BC, Babylon attacked Jerusalem. And they burned the temple, the palace, all the houses and the most important buildings and they broke down the city's walls and they burned the gates. Um, a hundred, over 100 years later, in about 466 BC, Nehemiah was one of the exiled Jews in the service of uh, the king at that time was exorcised um, in Persia because Persia overthrew the Babylonians. So then God's people found themselves under a whole different government and a whole new system. But um, various men uh, and women, well, God just gave uh, his people favor with these Persian kings, these Persian leaders. Many uh, believe today that God is using President Trump like one of these Persian kings, uh, a king who comes along in a government system that shows favor to the people of God. Um, yes, I'm one of those ones who is uh, disturbed by some of the things that I hear and some of the things that I see. And I don't think that God's people, God's leaders should spend a, bunch, a lot of time trying to defend uh, everything that the president says and does. You know what we need to do? Continue to do what God says for us to do concerning his leaders. He said to pray for those who are in authority. That's all. Just, just pray for them. Don't try to defend it. And certainly quit trying to explain how God is doing stuff. Just say, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know why God would raise up an, uh, an exorcist and, and uh, have him to be connected to a Nehemiah. I don't know why God would do it that way. All I know is that Nebuchadnezzar, the guy who was before that, was pretty bad. <laughs> and, um, and God had to uh, literally take his mind away from him to humble him because he thought he was God. And this was a guy who was, you know, uh, ruthless, no mercy. And God allowed him and his kingdom to be overthrown by the Persians. And these Persian leaders showed favor to God's people. And that's unusual. You don't usually have favor. When you overthrow a nation and they already have prisoners of war, they already have servants and slaves, you don't ever think that the new people coming on the scene are going to have mercy and show any favor to a people group that's already been conquered. But God did it that way. And so here is Nehemiah. In fact, before him, Ezra had been shown favor to go back to uh, Jerusalem and begin rebuilding the temple. And I share that with you because I feel like, Carol and I have talked about this, we feel like 
uh, we have watched this pattern happen here in America, that even in the midst of our bondage, in the midst of the wars and the attacks that we've had on the body of Christ, on our freedoms, that uh, somehow this fresh revelation about the temple, about worship, praise and worship, the word of God, all those things that are in the temple. You, you know, when you go uh, behind the, the, uh, the, when we go into the, the, the room and you see the showbread and the candelabra and those, all of those things. Remember all of the teachings and the revelation that came forth about all of that fresh revelation about the word of God, the spirit of God, worship, the incense, and we've seen that. But that was only one aspect of what needed to be restored. While you're rebuilding the temple and all of that is happening, still the gates and walls are broken down. Amongst my people alone, again, talking about African Americans, 1965, 25% of, you know, there, there was unwed births, 25%. 50 years later, it was 73% unwed births. Uh, among, um, among the nation, thank you, dear, on, a, on an entire, in fact, on, our, on the entire national level, um, it was 41%. The unwed mother rate was 41% by 2015. And amongst our people alone, it was 73%. Isn't that something? Among whites in 1965, uh, white unwed births was 5%. By 2015, it was 25%. Among Hispanics, uh, in 1980, it was reported at 24%. By 2015, 53%. Hispanics, unwed births. Man. So why am I sharing that? Because that's the direct result of even though we got all this wonderful revelation concerning the word of God, the spirit of God, prayer, praise, and worship, the gates and walls remain broken down. And our households remain vulnerable. Remember, as we talked about all of the different enemies that were opposing God's people, you know, Sanballat, Tobiah, uh, the Amorites, the Ashdodites, the Arabs, all with spiritual connections, not just human beings, because as we know, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but spiritual influences that have been flooding in through those wide open gates. And so that's why we took the time to explain the significance of each one of those gates. If you want to uh, see those, I won't go through all of that today, the, the meaning of uh, the spiritual meaning and the prophetic meaning of all of those gates, you'll have to uh, contact uh, Brother Gary and say, I want to get those previous CDs. <laughs> or you can get, pick up a book uh, that goes through all of that. Today we want to look at I think the last time we were here, we looked at the water gate. And today we want to continue with the next gate and its meaning. We talked about the fountain gate before, then we got to the water gate, and now we want to go, go on to the horse gate. Uh, the horse gate was located next to the horse stables. 
Horses were used in battles against Israel's enemy. The horse is always, through, through scripture, is always the symbol of battle. This is the gate that reminds us that we are in a spiritual war. Wow. Just think about families that don't understand that what they're up against is a spiritual battle. And that's why they're trying to solve spiritual problems by getting a job, getting a second job, getting an education, getting a higher degree, <laughs> making more money, trying to do things naturally that they think that that's what's going to solve what's going on in our family. Maybe if I get a degree in psychology and sociology, I'll have a better understanding of what's going on with the mental illness issue in my family line. I'm glad for the degree. You'll know more, but you still haven't reached the spiritual root of what's going on in that family. Why? Because they don't understand that you need to have a horse gate and understanding that this is a spiritual battle that your and my family is really engaged in. Wow. So we must restore the understanding in every household that they have to be prepared for spiritual attacks. They have to be prepared for spiritual attacks. Uh, there will be surprising events. Any, you know, anybody ever had this in your household? There's always some surprise, some surprise thing that happens unexpected circumstances in our lives. Everybody's going to face a battle. However, we can be equipped for the battle. Uh, we find out about the equipping, and I won't go into all the details because most of you here, you really know this already. You know Ephesians, the sixth chapter? You know the whole armor. <laughs> but just think about all the families. Think about even in your family. Think about your life before you knew this. Ephesians 6, starting at verse 11, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the wiles or the schemes of the devil, the strategies of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, stop there. Think about the battles that are going on in your family, sibling rivalries. Because they are wrestling with flesh and blood. They think it's a human being. They think it's aunt so-and-so. It's grandpa so-and-so. It's cousin so-and-so. Who is the problem in this family? I hate going to family reunion because uncle so-and-so is always going to be the one to disrupt and say things he shouldn't say publicly. It's embarrassing because bro one, one brother, one sibling, somebody is going to drink too much and make a public display and embarrass everybody. So they think it's an individual. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. And we are instructed according to the word of the Lord. And this is what it takes to build this gate. Therefore, 
take up the whole armor of God that you, you, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Wow. I love putting it in this way today. God's given me a different way to talk about it. To think about the time in your life when you didn't know this, when you didn't understand that your family needed a hardscape. And think about the family members now who don't understand that they're in a spiritual battle. They're in a spiritual battle. They're not even saved. Yeah, they're in a spiritual battle. Um, we found it very interesting that couples who don't know the Lord and they get married, they got the same problems as those who do know the Lord and get married. <laughs> Why? Because marriage represents Christ and the church, the relationship between Christ and the church. So whoever gets married, saved or not, Christian or not, you are portraying the image of God in the earth, Christ and his church. That's why the enemy is fighting marriage so much in America, because it doesn't mean they aren't, they aren't just attacking Christian marriage. They're attacking the very idea, the very thought, the very image of marriage between one man and one woman. It's amazing now that I have to say in my description of our marriage coaching that Carol and I do XO marriage coaching. We do XO marriage coaching. Is that knockout? No, male, female. <laughs> <laughs> that's what XO means male female I have to now say that because marriage and all that it represents is under a spiritual not natural not earthly not even mental it's a spiritual attack against marriage because we're living in a world where we're all so hypersensitive to being offended anybody tired of that I'm offended as if though and I'm not giving license to offense but offending someone is not a crime Did anybody know that does anybody know that I'm not saying it's okay to offend people, but if I offend you, I did not do a, it was not a criminal act against you. I don't know why the Lord has me to deal with this, with this spiritual issue on marriage, but it's very important that as we as believers uh, establish this in our heart's gate. Because I, mean, I know sometimes you don't know, well, how do I answer this? How do I respond to this? And here you are listening to these life coaches. How do you guys handle this? We just had this discussion Friday night, and I put it to you this way. We, we explained it this way. 
this whole issue of what you're supposed to do and how we're supposed to respond to people and offer services to, to different people and different lifestyles and all of that. <coughs> so if I refuse to perform a gay marriage, then I'm discriminating and I'm offending. <laughs> but the Lord gave us this analogy. If I go to a Taco Bell and I ask for a Whopper, Taco Bell is not discriminating because I don't serve you a Whopper. Why? Because that's not what we do here. Anybody hear me today? <laughs> Only God can give you that kind of answer. You're calling my, re my refusal to serve you a Whopper when I'm a Taco Bell. You're calling my refusal discrimination. When it's simply, that's not what we serve here. Come on, bless the Lord right now. <laughs> I did not say I will not serve you. I said what you're asking for is not what I offer. That's not what I serve. That's not on our menu. All right. Thank you, sir. <laughs> So how could you be offended? I'll break that. How could you be offended if you go into a Taco Bell and we don't serve hamburgers? So when you come into the house of God or you come to a heterosexual couple who does marriage counseling or marriage coaching, we are skilled and trained in heterosexual XO marriage coaching so you're asking for a service that we don't offer so i'm not discriminating because that's not on my menu somebody else has that on their menu go to the one who serves that the discrimination would be if we were to say nobody in the entire country can offer you that service. Now, am I saying it's okay for people to offer that service? We know according to the word of the Lord, no. But we live in a country that says everybody has the right to whatever it is that they want with their life and their lifestyle. So since that's the type of country that we live in, that's the type of nation that we live in, then we as the people of God had got to stop being afraid of right. other stores that raise up, yep. that are offering things to people that are against the will of God. We must stand up like Elijah did with the prophets of Baal. That's exactly right. The God who is God, let him answer by fire. I'm not afraid of your stores and your beliefs, and your systems where you're offering things to people that are against the will of God. But the issue is I'm not going to close my store 
I'm not going to close my ministry and close my services. The discrimination is if you tell me that I can't practice my faith. That's what a discrimination is. Do you guys hear me today? If we're going to be fair all across the board in these United States, yes, we're saying there can be a gay marriage coach, there can be a heterosexual marriage coach. The discrimination is if you tell me I can't have my heterosexual (laughs) marriage coaching practice. And that's the twist because they're saying my store, Carol and I, our business is offensive. Our business is discriminatory. And we're going, no, what you are asking for is not on our menu. The same way if you go to Taco Bell and hamburgers are not on their menu. The discrimination is if you close the Taco Bell because they don't sell hamburgers. That's discriminatory. The same way it is when you come to a heterosexual marriage coach and says, we don't put gay coaching on our menu, then we are discriminating. No, that's just not on our menu. Does this help anybody today? Come on, bless the Lord. Hallelujah. I don't know how we got all of that out of the horse gate, but it's spiritual warfare. (laughs) But I guess this was also a demonstration of why, when we understand that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And you probably remember the teaching that I did, that we did about strongholds. That strongholds is not just a demon spirit, but a stronghold is a mindset, an argument. And so that's what we're wrestling with because these are mindsets and arguments, philosophical positions that people are taking. And God is giving us the wisdom and building up this, this horse gate, this spiritual warfare strategy to help us dismantle, because that's what it means, pulling down strongholds, to dismantle their argument with a simple, that's not what we sell here. Isn't God awesome? Yes. So the next time you're talking to a family member or a coworker and they're telling you about how offensive these heterosexual past, uh, pastors are, these homophobic pastors are, these, hom- these uh, transgender phobic pastors and Christians are, just simply tell them you're asking them to sell a product that's not on their menu. It's not even in their inventory. The same way if you were to ask a restaurant to sell something that's not in their inventory, not on their menu. Yeah. I just love the wisdom of God, don't you? Come on, just bless him right now. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Well. Let's move on to the next gate. Now let's continue in this prayer walk, as we call it, and let's get to the east gate. This is the next one. This gate is located in, on, it was located on the eastern side of Jerusalem. 
uh, it was opposite of the temple area and this gate literally faced the east so that it would catch the rising sun. Some of you know this from various teachings about these gates. So what does the east gate tell us? The east gate speaks of hope because it faces the sunrise. The sunrise speaks of the daily reminder that God's mercy is new every morning. The sun is coming up. It may be a dark night, a difficult time, but when you have an east gate built up in your heart, you live a life with expectancy that this is going to turn around. Morning is coming. I remember growing up as a little kid and I would hear the adults say things like, weeping may endure for the night, but joy. See, we sung about joy today. Joy, and you didn't take up my time. <laughs> joy is coming in the morning. The East Gate says joy is coming. Um, I remember that during the, during the weekly prayer gathering, when we were doing this and we presented this particular aspect of the, aspect of the, of the gates, um, I put up a, a video, uh, a picture, and it showed the East Gate as it present day is. And they have it so positioned that when the sun comes up, it literally, visually, passes, as it's rising, rises right up through the gate. It's frame. It frames the sun every morning. It is the most amazing thing. You can actually see the sun come rising right up through visually the East Gate. Wow, what a powerful image. Now, most people, and I agree with them, uh, talk about the East Gate representing the return of the Lord Jesus. And I get that. Uh, but the Lord wanted us, I believe, wanted us to apply it in a way, especially for people that, that are, are in the inner city and need hope. Because for, for now, if I talk to them about Jesus coming, the first question is, yeah, but what about now? <laughs> Thank you for the blessed hope, the East Gate, you know, talking about Jesus is going to come and, you know, yeah, that's great. But tomorrow, tomorrow, when I wake up and I'm still living in the same apartment, in the same neighborhood, and I don't know how I'm going to make it, how does this East Gate get built in my life? And it is turning now all of my hope and expectation from the government and trusting that that welfare check are trusting that that insurance check is going to be in the account because now they're taking it away or they're reducing the amount. It's now trusting that God's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Anybody remember that song? Yeah. God will make a way. We've gotten away from those old songs. I love those songs from the 80s. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He makes in ways we cannot see. 
He will make a way for me. Say that again. He will make a way for me. One more time. He will make a way for me. That's an east gate. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to his side. With love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. Eastgate. Eastgate. He will make a way. A hope and an expectation that no matter how dark the night is, he will make a way. The reason why that we're hearing about so many children and teenagers committing suicide behind bullying is because that little heart has no east gate. The reason why parents, are, they don't even know what to say to their children who are being bullied is because that house has no east gate. See, with the East Gate built up, then the bullying attacks, the words that are spoken, they bounce off of the gate because it says, God will make a way. What those kids say about you is more of a statement about them than you. They hate themselves and they see something different about you. And rather than celebrating the difference, all they know to do is tear down something and someone that's different from them. So instead of it, see, I'm talking like a father would talk to his son or daughter who, if they came home and said, Daddy, they're picking on me at school. They're calling me names. They're going on social media and they're lying about me to all of my friends, so now nobody sits with me in the cafeteria. Nobody talks to me. Nobody comes even around me. But with an Eastgate in a family and in a household, a parent would have the ability to take the word of God and put it in a language that their child can get this. Life is not always going to be this way. Most of these kids that are talking about you and putting you down, unless they get an Eastgate built in their family and in their heart, you'll never hear anything about them the rest of your life. You'll be the one that will continue on and succeed. They may be popular now. Anybody know that story? All the folks who were so popular in high school not by the 10th high school class reunion, but one year later after high school, they had already peaked. The most that they would ever accomplish was at 17 or 18, whereas most of us, you know, you and I, us regular kids, we were just getting started, but we just didn't know it. But an Eastgate brings the understanding and the knowing that God will make a way. 
the way life is right now is not the way life is always going to be. It takes an Eastgate built in your own heart and guarding your household to deliver us from that spirit, remember, spiritual warfare, that spirit of suicide. Even when things are going crazy for us and we get laid off, anybody been through the layoffs, bankruptcy, foreclosure, but an Eastgate says, God will make a way. <laughs> when a crop just totally messes up. <laughs> when the store experiences some serious falls in sales. But an Eastgate, think about it. For every businessman that has these times when bunch of layoffs and things happen in your community so you already know what's going to happen to your business but the east gate being built up says God will make a way when you're trying to decide if rather I should buy some more supplies should we plant again should we stock the shelves with this particular product if not knowing if whether it's really going to sell or not? We seek the Lord's face from the place of the East Gate. Lord, my, my hope, my expectation is in you. There's another little worship song that comes into my heart now. I'm, we used to sing it. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope is in you, Lord. In you, in you. My life is in you, Lord. My strength is in you, Lord. My hope is in you, Lord. In you, in you, in you, in you. Yes, Lord God, I sense his presence here today right now. I don't know what you're facing right now, but anybody that needed to have this kind of reminder, come on, just join in with me and lift your hands, Lord, that my life is in you. My strength is in you. My hope is in you. Thank you, Lord God, for fortifying my East Gate. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Although we are grateful for the blessed hope that Jesus is coming, which the East Gate represents, but Lord, we thank you for its prophetic significance in my heart and in my home today that you'll make a way. <laughs> my hope and expectation is in you. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Even for those things that are beyond the money and the economics, things like our relationships, the heartbreaks, the disappointments, Lord, our hope, our expectation is in you. Anybody ever reached that place in your life where you've been let down and disappointed so many times you don't even want to trust anymore? People make you promises, and even though you're polite, inside you're, you're just saying, please, just don't tell me anymore. Don't, 
don't promise me any more. <laughs> don't make me any more promises. But can I tell you today, instead of putting your hope and trust in their promise or their word, just right now, some of you, that you have some promises on the table right now, some things people have said that they're going to do, things that they were supposed to have done. The deadline has come and gone. But would you just trust God one more time? Lord, I trust you. I trust you, Lord, that you will make a way, even if it doesn't come by way of the person who was supposed to pay me, who was supposed to pay me back, who I loaned some money and they were supposed to pay me back by now. Lord, I trust you that you will make a way, <laughs> that you will make a way. Even if they can't, even if they don't, that you will still make a way for me. <laughs> that you will make a way for me. Thank you, Lord. As I'm hearing that right now, I'm, I'm hearing the Holy Spirit put the word on me. So, so some of you need to say that, Lord, Lord, I know that you'll, wake, you'll make a way for me. It needs to be that personal because you need to know how much he loves you yes, yes. and how much he wants to do this on your behalf because this is such an important gate to be established in your life that he'll make a way for me. God, I've seen you do it for others. And now I trust you to do it for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, so whether it's physical healing, fiscal healing, <laughs> relational healing, whatever healing is necessary in this moment, Lord, I thank you for making a way for me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let me read this scripture to you from Psalm 30, verse 5. It says, For his anger is but for a moment, his favor for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Psalm 42, verse 5 says, Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. And one more, Psalm 146, verse 5 says, Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God. My hope is in you, O oh Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. God, here in this region where there's been so much disappointment and so many letdowns, mm -hmm. where there were times we had great expectation, even in you, for ministry, churches we've been in, ministries we've been a part of, and it all fell apart. But this day, Lord, we ask you, restore the East Gate in my heart again. Give me back that expectation I used to have of you. 
when I felt like you would do anything, not only could you do it, but you would do it. Restore that back to me, Lord. I don't want to live with that false hope anymore. Well, I really don't believe you. I'm just kind of waiting to see if it's going to happen. Come on, let's be real honest with the Lord right now. God, I just kind of live with, I don't, I'm not really sure if you're going to do it. I just kind of wait and see. God, I want my hope back. Come on, tell him, just whisper it to him. Lord, I want my hope back. I want my expectation. Thank you, Lord. I don't want to live in the world's definition of hope. See, when the world says hope, it really means a wish. You're not sure if it's going to happen or not. But when the word of God uses, says hope, it means it's an expectation. And the expectation is built on a promise from God. And because God promised it, I expect it. Amen. When our sons were small, there were times we would, I would tell them maybe on a Monday, Friday, we're going to go to Toys R Us. And so they would bug their mother all week long. <laughs> Are we going? Are we going today? Are we going today? Your daddy said it's going to be Friday. Then she would come and tell me and said, please don't tell them on Monday something we're not going to do until Friday. But why was my sons pestering their mother every day? But it's because daddy said, dad told us. So they had an expectation. They had a hope based upon daddy's promise. And because they had a track record with daddy that when daddy said we're going to Toys R Us, we always go. So what is it that daddy then told you? And you know he keeps his word. And even though the vision and the manifestation is tarrying right now. <laughs> Come on and allow the Holy Spirit to rebuild this gate in you right now. Said, Daddy said it. Come on, look at him right now. Look up in the heaven and say, Daddy, you said it. Yes. And so I expect it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. I'm not just making some vain declaration. Right. I'm not doing like the spooky spirituals who declare and decree stuff that you really didn't say. <laughs> I'm repeating back to you what you told me. You said, my family, you were going to save them. So my expectation is in you. God, you promised that you would take care of me. You said that you would supply all of my need according to your riches and glory. So, Daddy, I expect it. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord. God, you said, you said you would heal my body, so I expect it. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Wow. I even wrote down the lyrics to, some of you remember that musical called Annie that was on Broadway? Remember that tune? The sun will come out tomorrow. Bet your bottom dollar that tomorrow there'll be sun. Then the writer said, just thinking about tomorrow, just thinking about tomorrow, clears away the cobwebs and the sorrow. 
till there's none. When I'm stuck with a day that's gray and lonely, and it's kind of gray and cloudy today. So when you're stuck with a day that's gray and lonely, I just stick up my chin and grin and say, oh, the sun will come out tomorrow. <laughs> so you got to hang on till tomorrow, come with May. Then the part that all of us are familiar with, tomorrow, tomorrow. I love you tomorrow. You're always a day away. Isn't it something that some secular song from a musical had such profound biblical principle? Tomorrow's only a day away. And sometimes because the next day it's still gray and the next day it's still gray, after that keeps happening, then it starts gnawing away at our gate. But it's still only a day away. The sun is coming out because he promised. He promised, I will never leave you or forsake you. Thank you, Lord. Come on, bless him right now. Amen. Bless you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'll close with this. This gate was so significant to me because much of my life as an inner city youth, I was filled with hopelessness. Uh, I was the most pessimistic person you could ever have met. My wife can vouch for that. Uh, and that's because I've shared with you guys, I was born into a grief-stricken household. Uh, sadness and sorrow was always a part of my core being. For Carol, uh, after her parents split up, she had a she shares, since she had very little hope or expectation uh, for life to ever get better. Uh, and through the years, we can tell you that the East Gate was eventually built up and established in our life and in our marriage. So that's why today we can <laughs> firsthand, that's why this touches me so, because we can tell you firsthand why this gate must be built in families. Amen. It must be built in our own hearts. It has to be. The East Gate is where godly hope and expectation is established in our hearts and in our homes. And so, Lord God, we thank you for your word today. As these two gates are now established, forever established in our hearts and in our homes, the Hearts Gate and the East Gate, we expect you, God, to do miraculous things. Thank you, Lord, for restoring our hope. Thank you, Lord. There's so very little hope in families in our generation here in America. So, Lord, we pray for the restoration of the East Gate of America. Would you join with me now and pray at this now national level? Lord, let the East Gate be restored in America. <laughs> A hope and an expectation in you not even in the president but our hope and expectation in you it's real easy for us God to look at within the way our nation is going and to lose hope but God America belongs to you you've spoken your word over it 
You've given your promises concerning it. So no matter how dark the day, we look to the, to the east for the rising of the S-O-N, the sun. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come on, bless the Lord in this house. Bless the Lord.